1: Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the OutKick network, this is OutKick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski.
2: Out of the gates, ready to go. OutKick 360 is underway, Wednesday edition. 6th and Peabody, our location, with yee here in old smoky moonshine. Glad you're with us. The crew back together, Paul's back from Florida. A lot of news and notes to hit from NFL owners meetings that we will get to today. Coming off of Roger Goodell's presser and media availability about 24 hours ago. Brandon Wright, 12-year NBA vet, a one-and-done at Carolina, but a Tar Heel through and through. Uh, He will be in studio with us coming up in the final hour, two hours from now. And we will dive into the rivalry that is North Carolina and Duke as they meet for the final four. Gentlemen, good afternoon.
0: I wonder who's the bigger Tar Hill fan, Brandon Wright or Eric Church, uh, who the story's up at Outkick, decided to cancel a concert in San Antonio so he and his family could attend the game in New Orleans live on Saturday night between Duke and Carolina. I got to be honest. I love Eric Church. I never knew he was a North Carolina guy, did not know. He is that. a
2: massive fan. Yeah. I got to be honest.
1: So. <clears throat> I mean, that's a nice thing for fandom, but a lot of people bought tickets and planned nights around that. And uh, that's nice that you're a big fan of UNC. A lot of people are big fans of yours, and you just screwed up their calendars. Well his,
0: his email was very well said to, to his fans, and he even addressed that and said, as much as I love North Carolina, I forget what he calls this fan group, the church followers or whatever it is, mm-hmm. I know that you guys are as committed to me and our music, and he, basically, we're going to make it up to you. you got to Was what he was saying. You we're going to make it up, up. to you.
1: I, I don't. I, I haven't read it, and I'm sure it's good. Well, I, but your job y- comes before you say your fandom that. I, I would understand,
0: ways. like if he's just sitting at home wanting to watch the game on television, doesn't want to be bothered by it. But I mean, in the history of this storied rivalry, they've exactly. never met in the NCAA tournament, and now in Coach K's final year, they are meeting in the national semifinal on Saturday night. And if he's got a chance to go to the game, and that's been one of the loves of his life.
1: More power to him. So 14000 or $17,000, i am going to put them out. For one night, yeah. Make it, out, make it up to you means what? I'm going to reschedule it at my convenience, not at yours.
0: I, I don't know. Maybe they'll all get something from him also, some sort of prize package. I, I don't know. I think he'll probably make it up to him. Look, I understand. I, I've seen people in music tweet out, I love sports. I would never do that. I would never cancel a gig uh, for a sporting event. I, I understand that and the professionalism around it, all of those things. I'm just saying, before you criticize, understand this is not just North Carolina in the Final Four, which has happened a lot in his life. This is a very special set of circumstances around him wanting to attend this game. And I think a lot of people were surprised when they found out, oh, this is the first time I've ever met in the tournament with the history of the two two teams.
2: I was. But, I mean, the the committee tries to set up the matchups to where you don't get the conference matchups until elite eight or final four between
1: that, that which is sometimes
2: hard to do, but I mean, thanks to the big 10, you know, they're losing first or second round anyway, and it doesn't matter.
1: And oftentimes you're going to be, these teams are high seeds. So they both have to advance the same year to get close. It would typically have been right. Uh, in you're in different. So you would have both had to advance to final four. Then you'd have to be on the same side of the bracket to be a Final Four meeting is very improbable if you think about it. I thought the same thing, Hutton. How how have they not met? But then if you think it through between what your factor is and my factor, it's pretty improbable to happen. Well,
0: they always set it up to where you avoid the first two rounds. right? You're never going to get a conference opponent or even a, a lot of times an opponent you've played before in the first two rounds in your regular season. But I'm still shocked there hasn't been a year where Carolina's a one and Duke is a four, and they meet in the Sweet 16. They're both in the South Region, and they meet then. You know, all the all of the tournament games won and participated in by both that it's never happened is still well crazy. Think of me. that.
1: If, if, if even outside of the first two rounds, then if they <sighs> end up in the same region you're bringing two big fan bases that travel together you're generally going to want them in different regions because they're going to bring people with them right i mean they're all kind of permutations as to why it hasn't happened and what makes this one so special not to the degree that eric church should be canceling a concert but to the degree that it's a monumental game
0: so church is a big north carolina fan and we're going to have brandon Wright in later to give us the carolina perspective duke perspective on this it is amazing to me to watch the flip of the, uh, the fandom of the Duke fan base, and there's a lot of Duke haters out there that no matter what, want to see them lose and want to see Coach K lose, but I feel like the bandwagon effect of Duke in this run has been spectacular to watch, and not just from a television viewing standpoint, but from taking over the arena in San Francisco where it was a home game. It was 90% Duke fans in that regional out west in San Francisco for those games. I get that there's, it's a national fan base in that my wife is a Duke basketball fan growing up in Nebraska because they didn't have a lot of basketball to watch in Nebraska, and in her formative years, her and her brother watched Duke because they were on national TV all the time, and now they're still Duke fans. There's a lot of people like that all over America. Trust me, I know I went to a game in Louisville and saw a lot of people who probably didn't grow up in Durham or didn't go to Duke that are Duke fans that attended that game to see Coach K in his final year on the bench, but to watch it take shape and the amount of people going to games now, it's been pretty cool to follow. Honestly,
1: I think I, I saw somebody tweeting. You know, well, a lot of Duke people work in Silicon Valley. I think that's a, uh, sure. Uh, that's a stretch, though. I, I mean, I think people are traveling with Duke to an extreme degree in this tournament. Well, because Coach K of what put out means. a
2: public request to the committee. Um, in February, he's like, hey, if we get the one seed, I would like the Midwest region so he could play in Chicago with family, in front of family yeah, where are and he's friends. Yeah, from. Um, of course, that, that was their big punishment. They sucked down the stretch, and their punishment was they're not the two seed in the Midwest They went to the West. And so they still had a – this is going to be a great uh, atmosphere for the Final Four because, speaking of Chicago, Kansas fans were extremely loud oh, in the yeah. Elite Eight and the Sweet 16 in Chicago. That place was rocking – so you've got Kansas in the Final Four. Carolina and Duke will absolutely travel. And Villanova is now there for the third time in six years. Villanova's got
0: a sneaky, good travel fan base also. I've been twice around first and second round games where Villanova was in attendance. Once in Providence, which made a lot of sense. They had a ton of fans go up to Providence from Philly. Um, but that that's a fan base that will bring a good amount of fans also. Nothing like what you're going to see from Carolina and Duke people just elbowing each other to try to get into that arena to be a part of, of history. I, I'm, I'm excited about this. I was also surprised to see, you know, we talk about the first two rounds, we root for Cinderella, we watch Cinderella, and then you get to the Sweet 16 Elite Eight, and that falls off. St. Peter's win over Purdue was the most watched Sweet 16 game since 2011, ratings-wise, dominated of the Sweet 16 matchups. Now, their Elite Eight game was the worst, one of the worst the weekend. It was also a blowout. Where North Carolina blew them out in that Elite Eight game, but that was a bad number for an Elite Eight game. The best game of the weekend uh, was the uh, the Elite Eight game between Duke and Arkansas uh, on that night. But I was shocked to see that St. Peter's and, and uh, St. Peter's Purdue was that big of a number on Friday night.
2: Was that the CBS Network game?
0: Had to, have been. I,
2: or was that a Turner? Broadcast? That was
0: that was Turner. So yeah, really? I believe Turner had all the Sweet 16 games, and then CBS had all the Elite Eight games, if I'm not mistaken. I think Thursday, Friday were all TBS. Saturday, Sunday were all CBS. So that would have been a TBS game. But again, that was just for Sweet 16 games. That was the highest-rated Sweet 16 game in 11 years. So
1: do we think there was something particular about this
2: Cinderella? No, it was just a close game. A lot of these games sucked.
1: Yeah, because it stayed good. Well,
2: I've got some stats on that. where I, I, I say they did. Um, if not for the magnitude of the Sweet 16 or the, big, or the Elite Eight, these games were unwatchable in large part. I mean, they're yeah,
0: boring. Yeah, I've got some well, thoughts so on, on why. Here's what's a, just one more quick thing about St. Peter's as we close the door on their run. They opened the season in front of 440 people in their home gym against Long Island University in a loss. They opened the NCAA tournament. They had the most-watched first-round game by the time that thing was closing out against Kentucky. No other game was watched more. The second-round most-watched game was Duke-Michigan State. Then they had the most-watched third-round game in the Sweet 16, Saint, Little St. Saint Peter's, a part of that. And then there was a big drop-off when they got blown out and they had no chance by halftime unwatchable against North Carolina. But pretty remarkable when you think about where they started
2: and where they ended. Well, they had the best game in overtime of the tournament with Kentucky. The
0: That's open. what I'm saying. That was the yeah. highest-rated first-round game was their Kentucky
2: game of all the games, St. Peter's-Kentucky.
1: And that's a testament um, well, that doesn't, to, that's to in the, watching the, in the best It's in the primetime
2: window. I mean, we are sitting out here at Old Smoky. that night. Oh, it
0: captured America.
2: Uh, it was awesome. If
0: you were online at all and you had any means to find out what was happening in that game, by halftime, when they're ahead and it's still close in the second half, you were tuning in and not turning away from that game. There were no other games in that window that people, unless you're a diehard fan of those other teams, that's not watching St. Peter's battle Big Bad Kentucky.
1: It was terrific.
2: Uh, some news and notes today. Um, for all the discussion about how he may retire and it being a huge storyline of the Super Bowl, Aaron Donald's about to get a new contract with the Rams. Um, that's a report from The Athletic, and that will be the next big mega contract for a non-quarterback.
1: I think McVeigh said it at the podium.
2: Well, The, uh, the Athletic has details on what the on contract what, extension what is. is going to look like. Yeah, it's going to be big. um Yeah, and then they also have Cooper Cup, who's in line for a restructure or an extension um, after being the, the top guy, he's 29 years old. He has two years left on his current contract, and his cap number this year is upwards of $20 million. They may restructure and save some money now and pay him up front. Also, uh, we will hit a topic on Deshaun Watson later about his contract and Steve Bishotti, the owner of the the Baltimore Ravens, and some comments by Florio. That's later in the show. But a detail did come out on Watson's deal, just confirming what everyone suspected. He does have a no-trade clause for the full duration of the guaranteed contract. So not only does he set up everything through what happened in Houston to Cleveland, and no surprise, he had it there. You would expect the Browns gave it to him because they gave him everything else. Um, he has, he's in full control on if he is dealt again, where to, and for how much. Watson comes out looking great in all this. All the, uh, all the stuff uh, outside of the 22 civil lawsuits, a number of different owners didn't care. Arthur Blank is even admitting that it was time to move on from Matt Ryan. Do you think that most every owner
0: shares the sentiments of Bashadi with that? Saying, I really wish they wouldn't have guaranteed everything oh, yeah. Yeah. in the contract Absolutely. because the Absolutely. precedent sets? He's just speaking on behalf of every owner. Uh, That's not the Cleveland Browns. And
1: Arthur Blank sounded somewhat ridiculous. You know, they they felt pretty good about Deshaun Watson because he was a ball boy there once upon a time with Atlanta. So they had like a long-term connection to him and knew him when he was young. Yeah, yeah, I mean, he said, we don't know what he did or didn't do, guilty or innocent with these civil cases and stuff. It doesn't but, matter. I mean, you're really <laughs> stretching it if well, you're that, saying, like, we have a long-term sense of this guy because we knew him once upon a time.
0: That sounds like an anecdote you tell your grandpa
2: and it just sticks with him. You know, he's going,
1: yeah. and he's like, you know, this guy right here, this little guy, he was a ball boy for us
0: back in the day. Isn't that great? Isn't that cute?
2: The the uh, the line about what what he did or didn't do comes across to me the same way that the NFL says health and safety is why they're not changing the overtime rules and then they changed the overtime rules for post game or postseason. But same thing in, in Atlanta. They were they were in the mix and the reason they're not. The reason why they don't have Deshaun Watson, not because they chose not to trade for him, it's because Deshaun Watson chose the Browns instead of the Falcons. That's what it came down Look, to. Look,
1: I could come out of those owners' meetings, and I, I, listen, I'm not t- – most of these owner conversations are strictly with their beat core, right? And Amy Adams Strunk, who's on my beat, didn't talk. Um, but, uh, um, you know, I listened to Bashadi and what he said, and I, I could gerrymander a line. Steve mm-hmm. Bashadi's a smart guy, and what he's saying is intelligent. Arthur Blank, I think, is a, a smart guy to a degree, but when he says stuff like that, I put him over here with the eccentric, crazy, rationalizing owners. And there are more of those, I think, than there are of the Bushotti types. And there's a reason these owners only speak so often.
0: Well, that's you, you nailed it. I mean, this is why the owner you're there to cover doesn't speak. Well, she's because, been pretty good
1: when she's spoken. Yeah, she's not but, speaking I mean, now because there's enough, so much uncertainty about the stadium. She doesn't have any answers. But
0: if I stop in front of every microphone and talk to reporters, I'm going to say some dumb stuff eventually if I yeah. just talk openly about everything. And I just don't know what you say about Deshaun Watson that's going to make people happy with you wanting to pay him millions of dollars. Yeah. There's going to be people that are going to be upset. You could, just, you, you could fall back on the, look, we go by the legal system in America – So far, the legal system hasn't done anything. Nobody's falling
1: back on that, by the way. He's a really
0: good quarterback. You know, we looked into it, and we want a really good quarterback. (laughs) I would just go to the play of it. I would just say, look, the guy was a good leader in Houston on the field. He's a great quarterback. He hasn't been charged with anything legally. We want a really good quarterback for our team. Sue us. I mean, that, that would be my ultimate fallback. I would not, Paul, to what you're saying, fall back on he was a ball boy for us when he was a kid. But again, if you just talk and talk and talk, eventually you're going to say some pretty dumb stuff. And that's probably one of them, but that could just be one little clip of what he's saying about everything they did when they looked into Sean yeah, Watson. And to your also. point,
1: you brought up that earlier. The Browns didn't touch on on your core principle there anywhere. Better yet, emphasize it.
2: I've just Well, they emphasized it on the contract.
1: Yeah, right. But uh, when you're backing up the contract speaking, I think Chad's hitting a good point there. Look, we understand there's a lot of stuff going on here, but ultimately we're in the business of winning football games. This guy is a guy who can do that. We're not sweeping a bunch of stuff under the rug, but we are acknowledging he's quite a football player, and, and, and the if Browns his, haven't had a lot of those at quarterback. Yeah, and if his,
0: if his availability is affected because of jail time or anything else in the legal system, Things then change. the legal system will play it
1: out. And our contract has provisions that I feel like we're us. riding
0: the press release right now. But our job is not to do that. We're not the jurisdiction for that. We are trying to build a winning football team for our city and our fans, and we understand some of you aren't going to like it and won't buy tickets. And we understood that going into it, and we're willing to accept that risk because ultimately our responsibility is to this club, to the team, to the players in the locker room, to the city, to the fans, and we want to put a winner on the field. And we hope Boom. we and Deshaun can.
1: And that's it. And we hope we and Deshaun can win you back.
2: Yes. Hit us up on Twitter. You can weigh in. Outkick three hundred and sixty is where you can find us. Coming up. The, the Elite Eight was not great, and here's hoping that the, the matchups that we saw there are not at the same pace that we see in the Final Four. I don't think we'll get that same type of game and rhythm, but maybe maybe we do. and, and Maybe it's a, a, a bigger picture look at where college basketball is right now. Uh, we'll discuss the, the lack of offense right now in, in the college game. It's been on display in this tournament especially this past weekend. That's all straight ahead, plus primary complaint coming up in about 30 minutes on Outkick 360. First, though, fanduel.com slash OK360 is the site where you can place your first wager on the NCAA tournament. As a first-time FanDuel user, download the app. $5 after your initial deposit. $5 bet. You win $150 in site credit automatically. Win or lose, you pick any team remaining in the tournament to win. That's the bet you'll make. You opt in there at Fandle.com. And when you do so, you place five, you win 150. And Chad, as you like to say, it's a, it's a win-win. You, you can't lose on this.
0: I mean, if you're not doing it and you haven't already done it, this is your warning. It's fair warning from us right now. Do it. You're missing out on money. It's a great opportunity. I don't know why you haven't
2: already. Fandle.com slash OK360. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady,
1: live only on Netflix.
2: i kick 360 rolls on from 6th and Peabody with Chad Withrow and Paul Kaharski. I'm Jonathan Hutton. Yeehaw Beer Old Smoky Moonshine lives here with us. Um, so I find college basketball fun. But there are there have been some tournament, not just games, but days that have been a bore. And the Elite Eight is case in point for me. And I, I'm curious, Chad, Paul, what you guys think. Um I'm not gonna sit here and say that games like Vanderbilt in Florida, back in the SEC uh in conference play where they combined for 25 of 53s, 160 total points. I mean, it was a shootout and it was a blast. I'm not, I'm not saying games like that are routine. They're extremely rare, especially in the, the upper echelon conferences where athleticism is at uh, an all-time high for these programs. But the Elite Eight this past weekend, one game featured 94 total points. Two other teams managed to score 49 and 50 points. One of them won. Games featured just 8.6 made threes on average. Only one team shot greater than 50% from the floor. No team made more than six threes in the game. And the combined percentage uh, shooting was 39% from the field on average and 29% from three. That's atrocious. And I, I, we say we don't want the highlight matchups like Duke-UNC earlier in the tournament and they avoid the brackets. But some of this, I mean, it, game it, it's, un, it's unwatchable if not for the magnitude of the moment. Like if this were a, a matchup right before, if, if this were conference tournament play, you're not watching this stuff, you're turning the channel. Uh, and just comparison's sake, in 19, I just random tournaments, in the Elite Eight, 1994 Elite Eight. Every single team in 94 in the Elite Eight scored at least 60 points. Four teams broke 70. One broke 90. The lowest point total in a game that year was 129 total points combined. And that's a drastic shift. And you can keep going here. I went to 2003. Every team scored at least 62. Uh, Highest point total, 87 points. In 2013 two teams failed to score more than 54 points and six of the eight scored 64 or fewer. And the national championship game, the final score was 60 to 54. Um, for a sports market that, and I'm saying that outside of what sport we're talking about, normally you want offense to drive the the ratings, drive the uh, attempt to keep viewership. College basketball is going the opposite direction. And I think it's because of the length and speed and athleticism of the entire team, and that's improving defense. But it's also just because teams can't shoot as well as they used to. I I, I don't know if it's uh, highlighted as a factor anymore. I don't know if uh, there are Rick Barnes guys that are setting up a desk at half court practicing this.
1: I agree with a lot of what you said. Uh, it, It was not by any means a great weekend of basketball. The weekend before was very good, and I think hopefully it sets up a very good weekend. Look, the best game – you know, I want to be on the edge of my seat at the end. The best game was a six-point game, Houston and Villanova. Villanova took on Houston's personality. The, the better offensive team took on the defensive team's personality in that game. So it was somewhat interesting in that regard. But it was an ugly game, and that was the closest game. And, that Miami,
2: was, and most people were watching Duke-Arkansas.
1: Yeah. Miami disappeared. It was erased by a great second half by Kansas, which won by, what, twenty six. UNC completely extinguished, as we talked about earlier, the Cinderella story in an unwatchable game that wasn't ever in question. At least Miami played a first half, so you had a first half. And Duke was perfect for the last seven minutes. They may have only won by nine, but for the last seven minutes of that game, things weren't in question because they played so perfectly well that you had no feeling that Arkansas was getting back into it. So in terms of intrigue, you know the games of number uh, the number of games shrinks that weekend, and you didn't really have a, 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 as as you won a region to get into the final four much intrigue. I hope the trade off hut is that Duke Carolina lives up to expectations. Certainly, the hype going into it is off the charts. Yes, Villanova Kansas is is hardly being talked about because it's the second fiddle game, but also has potential. To be classic. And, and that's and it's, why it's, it's tipping off Yeah, it's blue bloods, like, like you say. And then, you know, I, yeah. I think Villanova or Kansas against the winner of, of, uh, of the main rivalry could give us a classic Monday night. That's what you hope for. But it was a, a dud of, uh, of, of the final eight for
2: sure. And it's, it's routine, Chad. I mean, this is not a one year anomaly.
1: Yeah.
0: I, so I'm at a restaurant last night and happened to see Lakers Mavs on the TV. And there's about three minutes left in the first half. And the Mavs had 79 points. They were going to be, they were on pace for 170, essentially, like at, your, that, at that point in the game. Like
2: your game, the Suns game.
0: And I'm watching yeah, it's that. It's
1: easier to be good on defense, is well, the thing. Well, I'm, I'm in thinking, the
0: not in the NBA. Uh, well, <laughs> it's e- Look, you could be a lot better on defense than the NBA. They're just not playing it right, in the regular that season. Okay. Uh, so it's a different. Uh, focal point in college basketball. I, it's a number of factors. It's the NBA influence. The NBA influence on the college game and all the way down is the analytics of attempting threes as opposed to attempting two-point shots anywhere. So you get games where guys are going to keep bombing and go, uh, I want to say Miami was three for 25 or two for 25 in the game. They're going to keep shooting, though, because that's what they, they do. do. It's a better probability if you keep shooting them, eventually you hit – and you score more points. So when teams aren't hitting, you get defensive slugfest like that. I also can't remember a time where we know more programs for their defense as opposed to their offense. I mean, go back over the last 40 years of college basketball and tell me a star team or a program that the first thing that comes to mind is defense. The only one that I can think of is Nolan Richardson's 40 minutes of hell at Arkansas. I can't think of any other team where the first thing I think of is not a star player or a collection of star players that's offensive-minded, right? There are multiple teams now, Houston, Texas Tech, that's known simply for defense. Villanova is a bit of a hybrid, but they also, this year, are known for their defense. They can morph. More than anything else. And they can score points, too, but it's just a different focus. Hutton, you hit on the athleticism – I think players are more athletic. I think they're more sophisticated in terms of how they defend. I think, quite frankly, Dan Dockett just talked about this on this show, too many college teams run the same offense. So they're well-skilled in exactly how to defend it. And they pretty much know, we play this defense, you're going to get this shot at the end of the shot clock. Or we're willing to give you this shot early in the shot clock, and you can take it. And if you miss it, we're giving you one shot. And so on and so forth. I think forth. there's one
2: other thing. I think you nailed two of them. It's the relying on threes. It is shot clock. Um, and we, we could add, add two more. I think officiating is so inconsistent. Yep. Game to game, uh, they can really slow down pace of play, and that doesn't account for you know the Villanova and and how they match up against Houston, but uh, or or any of these slow you know slow and prodding it, teams, it up. right? Like. But I think the other thing is the lack of post-play. We have teams with size advantage, but they're really not that skilled. And I think we're finally starting to see that come back around to where it's – I don't know if it's hurting the product because, again, these games are tight and they're close. But 50-48, I mean, I can get that in a high school gym. 50-44 yeah,
0: was the final of that Houston, I go watch eight minute, game. I
2: can go eight-minute eight minute quarters and watch a 50-48 game in a TSSAA game here in town. Like, that, that's scoring at a high rate for them. This is just – I mean, close games are one thing, but is it – on a, any given night, is that a watchable product? It is in the tournament, but it's not for me during the regular season. I, I need more than what they're showing here in some of these matchups.
0: Yeah, if Duke and UNC is 50-48 to 48 and it's close well, that, and compelling down the stretch, it won't matter. We'll be right. into
2: it and like it. Right. But it, it's not
0: the whole of college basketball – there's been a little bit more scoring the last couple of years. We really reached a low point, low ebb of this, probably three years ago in college basketball. Offense has been opened up a bit uh, when guys aren't allowed to hold and grab as much. The officiating is something I want to hit on. I can't recall a time in a tournament where I've seen more fouls at the basket that aren't called. It's one thing in the Baylor-UNC game, you let it get out of hand. It was a terrible, terribly officiated game. But they were mugging each other in the backcourt, right? They just allowed Baylor to press and play hockey against North Carolina to get back in that game, and they weren't calling fouls.
2: Arizona TCU.
0: I don't like that, right? Yeah. We don't like that, but at least that's 70 feet from the basket. How many times have you seen a guy drive strong to the basket and go up and get bodied? Or even get hit on the arm, and they're calling it a block shot. Yeah. But,
2: but that either that, affects, shot or, that affects scoring also because those foul, are two points off the board. They're calling more and more of these fouls, but not attempts. fouls on the floor. On the floor, fouls fouls that are not in the act of shooting because you have to be the ball has to arm, be arm above. Up. Yeah, arm up going towards the rim. You can it, used to the act of shooting was just if you were taking two steps going towards the basket.
1: Here's a here's a question about the offensive skill coming into college because. I've not seen AAU outside of maybe a little bit late night, ESPN, late in the season, whatever's on, and and not watching whole games by any means. But Chad, I would picture that AAU basketball is free flowing, primarily offensive, which would which would lead me to think it's kind of like college football with kids coming in who've been playing a lot of seven-on-seven yeah. quarterbacks and receivers are ready, more ready for college football, and that has led to that evolution. So why are we seeing more defensive college basketball teams? I understand a coach could get guys in and teach defense more easily, maybe systemic defense, but I would think there would be a flow of offensive players coming into college who've played on these AAU teams that are probably running up and down the floor all day long.
0: It's a good point. I think college coaches train that out of them, and they do it on the defensive end, first and foremost. So let me give you an example. why am I
1: going somewhere where it's going to be trained at them?
0: Let me give you an example, but here close to where we're doing this show with Tennessee. Watch Kennedy Chandler in the first month and a half of the season versus the last two months where he started heating up, but he started playing defense better. Go watch the Kentucky blowout loss at Rupp. I believe it was Rick Barnes after the game said he's playing AAU. He thinks he's still in AAU. There were AAU plays being made out there. You have to train that out of young guys. And what I mean by that is he's not accustomed to being defended to that level. So you're making the one-handed bounce pass, and it's going right to the defender because you're not used to that. that guy's so never been there everything starts to tighten up, mm-hmm. right? You tighten up your handle. You tighten up your passes. They're a little bit more crisp. And when you do that, that recognition of how the defense is going to play you changes your offensive game. And I think when you watch an AAU game, and I see this with guys in college too, this is another AAU influence. You know, for years and years, if you were on a, let's say, two-on-one, one-on-one fast break, and you got guys, you know, coming down the floor, the one guy would try to beat the player to the basket and take a charge or go up and foul them, make them earn it, right? Watch the amount of guys. This is another AAU influence that I see. Watch the amount of guys who are skilled at slow playing it and trying to go and block the shot at the last second, allowing the offensive player to get to the rim. It's almost like they're inviting them to go, and they know they can go up and challenge it at the basket and try to block it. It's infuriating for me to watch nice. when I see a guy jogging when he could get back in front of them. And he, but what he's doing is he's trying to time it Track up. Track it down. That's the one area of AAU defense I still see a lot of. But overall, I think these college coaches, so many teams put so much emphasis on defense now. That is where they start in training camp, getting ready for the season. It's the basis of everything that they do that I think offense offense has suffered in two ways. It's probably not being worked on quite as much as defense, especially in the early going for teams, and teams are focusing on defense so much they're just a lot better at it and it's a lot harder to score and it's really not the offensive team's fault because there are times where the defense is just that good i don't think that was the case this weekend i think you saw a number of games where they were allowing guys to get open threes and they were just missing them yeah Yeah. we saw that all over the place
1: i don't think we're anti-defense we're anti-44 points as a total
2: well but but whenever you have a a slow game on the offensive end combined with two or three official reviews at the monitor, then, then it just Spocked becomes, down. man, you, you want to flip the channel, right? You can, it becomes a matchup for me that I can tune in the way I tune into an NBA game, which is not what the college product Go is late. about. Uh, college product should be drama-filled throughout. And you can have that in a defensive matchup. I don't want it throughout my Saturday and Sunday combined. And that's what we had. This is the lowest scoring Elite Eight since the tournament expanded to 64 teams. I mean, so it is a first, and maybe we'd never reach this low again. But, I, don't, I mean, it, to me, it's just not a, it's not a product I would be like, you know what, this, this game's headed in the right direction. The game in general headed in the right direction. I need more offense. I don't need a ton more. I don't want blowouts. I don't want Kansas, you know, running away with it in the second half and outscoring them, what, 45-15. But I, I do want a little bit more rhythm to the offensive and defensive end.
0: Well, to get rhythm, there's one team that I think consistently does this well. I think too often coaches fall back on, let's get down there on offense and set it up. If there's not something really easy right away, let's set up our half-court offense. These defenses are too athletic and too good to get something great in your half-court set.
1: You wind up with a one-on-one at the end of it.
0: I want more teams. I was screaming about this with Duke against Arkansas. Arkansas is a great defensive team. And when they would try to set things up in the half court, they were not as successful as just going. And if you've got two feet on a guy for a three on the first pass, shoot it. I mean, if you miss and you miss again and you miss again and they're scoring, yes, you've got to adjust. But that is how you get rhythm and get offenses flowing more. Take the early shot. You're not going to get a better one against some of these teams. And I think too often teams – pass up a really good look to try to find a great look, and it never exists. Mm. Because what they do is they back it out with their point guard, they go into a half-court set that the scouting report has been nailed by the other team. They know exactly what you're doing. They're switching on every screen, and it turns into a forced three or four-second on-the-shot-clock attempt where you could have gotten a great shot early on.
1: Villanova's pretty good at building to to get that great shot, whether it's early or late. But you're right, Chad. I see teams in a half-court set, it builds to nothing. You, I, mean, I mean, even some of these sequences where you get some good passes and stuff, all, you, all the best you can ultimately get is a, as an open three. And if you're not shooting well, it doesn't matter. And then where's the rebound of an open three go? God knows. Right. Uh, you know, it, it it's a complete yeah. scramble. You could be in great rebounding position, offensive or defensive. You don't know where the rebound's going on a, on a missed three. So the strategy of rebounding, like you, you've always been, you know, if if you win and box out, you're in good position. Well, that doesn't hold anymore. But a half-court set, it's not like, oh, look, they're building here, the motion and everything. Oh, there's a cut. And the guy's getting a great look for a pull-up or well, You can or get it like three
0: or four times a game where yeah. you call a timeout and get a set but they're not used to, not. and you get a really good look or a layup or something out of the, uh, the inbounds play. Infrequent. You're going to get something It's very infrequent. I think it was Andy Enfield when he was at um, Florida Gulf Coast who said this. And I, I wish more teams would take this approach. Talked about winning, upsetting someone they weren't supposed to beat. That was a really good defensive team. I think it was Georgetown maybe that year that they upset in the first or second round. And he said, you know, the key is they're so good on defense, don't allow them to guard you. And what he means by that is if you run it he quick passed. enough, you don't let them get set up where they're guarding you. It's always a scramble. And that was the team known for the lob dunks on the fast break and everything else. But I, it was profound when I heard it. And I, I think it was him who said, well, if you don't let them guard you, then you don't have to deal with their defenders. That was
2: the Miami approach to Kansas.
0: Take that to an extreme.
1: At
2: halftime, all they were talking about was just be the faster
0: team. Yeah, and it worked. They're up six at halftime, and then they couldn't hit anything in the second half, and and Kansas blew them out. But absolutely, I I wish more teams would take that approach. And if you get two great teams taking that approach, let's say – because North Carolina can play that way. They can play fast. And Duke. (sighs) If North Carolina and Duke take that approach, we could have – another Gonzaga UCLA from a year ago where it is an all-time classic back and forth offensive type game uh, with both teams. I hope we get it.
1: You take that to extreme extremes, you get Loyola Marymount. We haven't seen that since I was in college.
0: Yeah, it, it, I, don't know, I don't know if that is possible anymore. If you go back and watch like an NBA classic game from the 80s, it's amazing. They, they would play tough with each other down low. But it was almost like men's league's gentleman rule that you stay like two feet away from the shooter. Like at all times, they're not yeah. bodying up. There is freedom of motion all over the court, and guys are cutting and picking. But every time, they have a 17-foot jump shot if they want it over someone because there's no one all up on them at any point. That was the, that's where Hank Gathers played in that era and of And then in the 90s, basketball. those
1: two feet went away, and you didn't have two inches.
0: And thanks to Nolan <laughs> Richardson, teams couldn't get it up the court against his... Razorback teams. And the
1: Knicks and the the Pistons were beating the hell out of each
2: other. Yep. Coming up, we air our top grievance of the week. Primary complaint is straight ahead. First, though, charity concert and dinner just around the corner this Tuesday, April 5th, right here in Nashville at the 1230 Club on Broadway. It's a full evening of food, drinks, and music with proceeds going to Fun Recovery's Hall of Fame Family Recovery Fund. It's a fund specifically designated for any former professional football player, their spouse, children, siblings to receive monetary support for mental health or substance abuse services. Fund Recovery is the official nonprofit of the Pro Football Hall of Fame with the mission to make treatment affordable to all. It's this Tuesday, April 5th. Only a handful of tickets remain. Guests will include Charles Haley, Steve Atwater, Steve Hutchinson, uh, Delaney Walker. They're all scheduled to attend. Eric Decker will be there as well. And the plan is for several of these guys to join us on the show on Tuesday, it's going to be a blast. Performances by Jesse James Decker, Tyler Rich, Chase Rice, and more. For information or tickets, you can email Lauren at FundRecovery.org, Lauren at FundRecovery.org, or visit FundRecovery.com. You ready? Showtime. On
1: May 3rd, summer starts with the Fall Guy. We'll do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either.
2: It's not what I'm into right
0: now. What are you into? Talking.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <Yes>.
2: <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May third. Rated PG thirteen. We are live from Sixth and Peabody. Coming up, three sixty headlines. That will be in ten minutes. It includes the NFL. Potentially adding a streaming service to their already mega media platform and a charge could be on the way. That's straight ahead. First though, gentlemen, every week at this time, primary complaint. And I'll kick things off with a simple update. If you want me to, get, um, if you want me to update my phone, I, I would hope that Verizon or Apple or anyone involved Um, with the cell phone service could just install this uh, for everyday life. It would make things a lot simpler for me on the email. I, I can go into email. I can read an email from someone and then I can go back into that tab and mark it as unread. I need that service for text messages. If I get a text message that says, please call me and I open it and I'm in the middle of a program like this one, three hours later, I may forget to do that, but I need the ability on a text message to mark that text message as unread, even though I've already opened it. Make it simple for text and email. That's my primary complaint. Or at
1: least maybe a flag feature like you have on email. That'd be good, too. I like that.
2: So I'm a lover of
0: many forms of entertainment. Um, I'm a, I like movies. I like TV shows. I like the streaming services that are out there. We'll talk about yeah. one possibly coming up here soon. Um, what I don't like is when I like a show that I can't explain. Um, I heard Clay Travis say this one time about investing. I don't invest in anything I can't explain in two sentences, what the company does. And that's why he doesn't invest in crypto because he can't quite explain it. I love the TV show Atlanta on FX, but I watched the season premiere. It's been like two years in the making for the new season and the second episode and the two episodes are completely unlike. I'm talking different characters, different genre, everything. So why I would, I would like to suggest the show to others, I can't explain exactly what it is. And that really, really bothers me. I'm certain that this is probably a me problem with my tiny little brain, <laughs> but I can't explain the show Atlanta, yet I know that I like it, and that is my primary complaint. David Reed.
2: So the one thing that has made the NCAA tournament unwatchable for me is not the lack of offense or defensive basketball styles. It's the lack of diversity. I'm a Charles Barkley fan, but if I have to stomach that same commercial one more time, his big butt coming in with a marching band, or Reggie Miller hawking breakfast sandwiches one more time, or the most insufferable spokesperson of them all, Lily from AT&T. Look, I understand they're making a fortune from these three companies alone, but let's get a little diversity. Let's lower those rates a little bit and get some commercials that are actually watchable. Over and over again, instead of the same exact ones. That's my primary That's complaint. Fantastic! They made a, a huge deal, Turner and CBS, and I, I mean, I would too. They were sold out for all the ads, ad space in the tournament, sold out to like four, four
0: companies. One, one That's quick thing to
2: to Reed's point,
0: I think that you would like this too, Reed. I like that they remove Lily, yes. from these commercials and added Zoe. special celebrity guests, and they just have her at the games. So you see a flash of her at the college basketball games while there are other people auditioning to be Lily. I, too, get annoyed by Lily, so I enjoy that they're bringing in some, some new blood.
1: Chloe she is yeah.
0: she remains. Playing her part. Lily remains. And Rosario Dawson. And
1: My he, primary complaint is a man named Chad Bagley, from what I could tell. Had to be a Chad. Uh, on Twitter. Had to be a Chad. Had to be a Chad. We, Chad. A Chad. we love Chad. So Chadwick I, I, Bagley. St- I've still got vacation. Been overcoming this name for years now. <laughs> I've still got uh, vacation-related <laughs> complaints. While I was away, I tweeted – Picture uh, side by side, Horseshoe Bend and Lower Antelope Canyon uh, in Arizona. Beautiful, beautiful places. And he tweets, I I want to like this, but I I can't because I don't care for your opinions. So this guy is unable to uh, hit the heart on pictures of two of America's great natural wonders because he doesn't like my opinions about a football team. I'm not a serial killer. I'm not a communist. I don't espouse the beliefs of the man-boy love association. (laughs) But this guy, my football opinions, which, by the way, are generally on the mark about the Tennessee Titans and National Football League, because he doesn't agree with me on that, he can't bear to press a heart connected to two beautiful photos. My God, the horror.
0: And, uh, Paul, to your point, though, you said you're not a serial killer? I think Charles Manson had a pretty good eye for art. I will say. I mean, he, you know, there are times I could even like one of his recommendations for for art. So
2: Hitler was a great painter.
0: That's yeah, true. Another another artist.
2: If only they not that
0: we're saying you're that you're <laughs> Hitler, Paul. John Manson and Hitler. If only now. they
2: would have been around during the Instagram era. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I love no, people have to preface. Real
1: conundrum for Chad.
0: I love people have to preface with anything that they don't like about you. Mm. Yeah, you know, like it's, it's the start of anything. Boy, that was a really great point you made on the show today. Even though I hate your opinions on Vanderbilt or I hate your opinion on this, that was a really good point you made here. That's that's Paul now. Brandon Wright is going to join
2: us in studio in one hour. Former UNC Tar Heel, 12-year NBA vet. He'll break down the rivalry matchup of the Final Four for the first time ever, North Carolina and Duke. When we come back, 360 headlines. That include Tiger Woods, Daniel Snyder, and the NFL streaming service. That's next on Outkick 360.